All right, everyone. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining tonight's class, the free Purim class. Tonight is Ayan Adar, so it's a very big happy birthday to Moshe Rabbeinu and happy birthday to Debbie. See, you line up with Moshe Rabbeinu, that's really special. That's so Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday, and it's your birthday, so you have a lot of things going for you. Once they're throwing the biggest birthday party in heaven, uh, you're throwing the big party down here. So may the lights of Moshe Rabbeinu and the lights of all the holiness of the day shine upon you. For Rishnas Bracha Natslach, is your birthday really Zion Adar? Wow, why don't you kind of, you came into the world with a bane. Okay, according to, you know, the, 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 the Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday is responsible for the entire redemption. The redemption of Pesach, because Moshe was born, that's why he went out of Egypt. And the reason that Haman's made a mistake and he picked a month of Adar and it flipped on him was because he didn't realize Moshe was born. So Moshe's born took care of both of our happiest days, Pesach and Purim. So therefore, today he has all the energy to take care of the third redemption as well. May it be the redemption of the coming of Mashiach. Uh, so happy birthday to you, Shnas Brach and only the best. Gesund and Nachas, and only happiness. Um, it, it, my father also dedicated tonight's class. This is his brother's yard site, my uncle, my favorite uncle, you can say that, my uncle Laser. He was always a, the, the funniest and happiest and most energetic uncle, and we always had, a, everybody was always, had an enormously good time with him, and he was just full of life and full of energy. Very difficult life, had no children, um, and um, yet a person with so much energy. So I look, tonight is his yard site. Uh, may this be his chus for his nesham, Eliezer Yehuda, Ben Reb, ben Reb Ruvain, that's my grandfather that I'm named after. May his soul have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May his chus for his neshama from that special shir. And also, it's my tomorrow night is my grand my father's also dedicating in honor of my grandfather, my mother's father's yard site that is going to be Bidrat Hashem. Is it on? Okay. Uh is going to be in honor. It's gonna be my grand my grandfather, my mother's father's yard site. His name is David Yehuda Ben Rabbi Kusil Pinchas. May his Nishama have a very great aliyah from this very special shear. Hopefully it'll be a special shear. Um so I'm excited about the night share because it's good stuff. Okay, so you're ready? Here we go. I usually don't do this. Um, I usually teach from various different sources, but this time I um, today took a hold of the holy book, uh, Kedusha Slevi, which is the great sefer from the great Rebbe Yitzhak of Berdichev. Uh, and in his sefer, Kedusha Slevi, he has like um, a whole section dedicated to both Purim and Hanukkah. And in Purim, he has a nice couple of chapters they're called the first holiness, second holiness, the third holiness, and the fourth holiness, because uh, he goes through the four mitzvahs of Purim. And tonight I will teach the Ezra Sashem of his first holiness of the Blevi Yitzhak of Vardich. The whole class is teaching straight out of the say, I'm not reading it inside, but a synopsis of what he teaches, which is really phenomenal. And you can't go back with the Blevi Yitzhak of Vardich. Just learning his Torah and speaking his Torah is already a redemption for the soul. Uh, as Rav Levi Yitzhak Badichev is the master of love, master of compassion. Rav Levi Yitzhak Ben Sada Sasha, 
May he draw down mercy for the Jewish people that need so much mercy in the time of difficulty. May Hashem already have mercy on us and send us to Giyula. In any case, we begin with a couple of questions. First of all, tonight we are going to discuss the Megillah. The Megillah like never before. The Megillah is very, very special. Um, the Megillah, Megillah Sester, we read it. It is the only reading that is such an obligation. We read the Torah all year long, but the reading of the Torah all year long is not such an obligation. It's a takana, so on and so forth. It, 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 the, 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 we don't make such a to-do about reading the Torah. There is a mitzvah to read Shema. Read Shema that has to be written, read every day carefully, but you don't read it from a scroll. You're not reading it from a Sefer Torah. But by the Megillah, it has to be written correctly. In other words, the, the halacha to he, listen to Kriya Satoru, we do it throughout the year, doesn't, we don't make, it doesn't have the same um, um, force. Like you have to, every person is obligated to go hear the reading of the Megillah, so much so that we stop learning Torah. We, we cancel a class. People have a shear. Some people, you invite them to anything. The best birthday party in the world. They can't go because they have a, they have a shear. And when a person has a shear, it's not so easy to, you know, you're not supposed to give up on a class. Class is very serious, a shear title. But, you can't say that Torah by night. You have to stop your class. No matter what you're learning, you can be learning the deepest esoteric teachings of the Zohar and mysticism and so on and so forth. You have to stop it all and go hear the Megillah. So we find, and it has to be written from a scroll. You have to read every word. If you read it and you change around the order, you don't fulfill the mitzvah. We don't find that in any other portion of Torah. So you have to say that something is like so powerful about reading the Megillah. And the question is, why is that so great? And how awesome is that? We will find out that it is awesomely awesome. Bezrat Hashem, by the time the class is over. Other question we have is on the name Purim. Purim is called Purim because of a lottery. Now the lottery was actually not so much the good side of the story. The lottery was the problem thing. Haman made a, lot, a lottery, casting lots of when to destroy the Jewish people, when his luck, when his good fortune would work. Now we know that it was all flipped over. And instead of having a very sad day, a Tisha B'Av, God forbid, the Jewish people ended up at the happiest day. So Chodesh Ador was flipped over. So the poor that Haman made backfired on Haman. Okay? So, uh, but still, why do we, I mean, there's so many other things in the story that was more the salvation. Like, for example, when the king couldn't sleep that night, which we know we make it to do, when we get to the part, we know that the one who is reading the Megillah has to raise his voice, because that's Ikresh al that's the main part of the miracle. Akashver is getting angry at Vashti, and so on and so forth. These are really, really highlights of the miracle. Esther being chosen, uh, that's a big story, and so on and so forth. But yet the name of the holiday is Purim. Why is that? So why is Purim called Purim? after that particular part of the story. Now, let's take a look a little deeper over here, which we know. Sages tell us, Chazal tell us, we spoke about this last week. Last week, we already also had a Chodesh Adar class, a, a class regarding the Simcha, the joy, Mishinech Mazadamar and the Simcha. Um, we, we spoke about something that the sages tell us about Purim, uh, that you don't really see it in the Megillah explicitly, but we all are very familiar with this idea. And that is that by the story of Purim, is really the conclusion of the giving of the Torah. When God gave the Torah, when Hashem gave us the Torah in the year 2448, when we went out of the tribe, that a reception of receiving of the Torah was faulty. The reason it was faulty was because, as the sages tell us, it was at the threat of 
of of uh, death. The sages tell us, Chazal tell us, Shabbos, that Hashem held a mountain over our heads, and He said, "If you accept the Torah, is good, and if not, I drop the mountain." Usually, when a mountain drops on your head, it doesn't end too good. So, therefore, the Jewish people had no choice, and we took the Torah. You don't have any clue in that when you read the story of the Chumash. But the sages, they pick up on the fine nuances. So they picked up on the fact that it says they stood under the mountain, and that means that we actually stood under the mountain, which means he held the mountain over our head. And therefore, we know that any time you go into contract, and you can later prove, even if you sign, the contract is has no weight it has no it's not valid because a whole idea of a contract is that you're going into it voluntarily so therefore when we accepted the torah then it was involuntary because we were forced however the sages tell us and that's why Chazal tell us that we have an excuse if a person argues that we didn't keep the torah um if if, if a person is held is it being subjected after 120 uh and they're giving him, a, him or her a hard time why they didn't keep this or they keep that we can argue that we're not obliged to keep the Torah. Why? Because we were forced. And since you're forced, it's not an it's not a real acceptance. However, the sages say, Rava comes along and Rava says, Oh, this uh, as we mentioned last week, this coupon, so to speak, this uh this exit strategy, which you can you can kind of you know uh wiggle your way out of that obligation of keeping Torah only worked for the first thousand years. However, once the story of Purim happened. Then the all excuses are out the window because um, we say that um, at the time of the story of Purim, we accepted the Torah wholeheartedly. Okay, um, the Jewish people accepted the Torah in the days of Achashverosh, and how do we know it? Because it says, The Jewish people, says somewhere in the Megillah, they established. The Kiblu Ayyhudim and the Jewish people accepted. And then it continues, Leo's Oisem, to make the two days of, of Purim. But initially it says Kimu the Kiblu. The sages derive. Now, what does that mean? They accept it should have really said Kiblu the Kimu. Okay. They accepted was what the regular story is that they accepted what Mordechai and Esther wanted to add a new mitzvah. Okay, they wanted to institute the mitzvah of Purim, the holiday of Purim, and the reading of the Megillah and all the mitzvahs of Purim and um, you know uh, in the beginning it was a question are we gonna add we're not gonna add you know we deal with 613 you know adding another one <laughs> is is always a good question do we want to take on more uh, it's enough we have enough on our plate if we can see but Purim Baruch Hashem doesn't harm anybody a little bit of Purim but it, it was a question can we take on more or not in the end the Jewish people certified and they accepted it and the Kiblu Ayyuhudim and but then it should have said Kiblu. First, they accepted it, the Kaimu, and then they kept it. Then they actually went ahead and did the, the Yontif. It says the opposite. So the sages make a little change in the reading, not in the reading, in the meaning of it. That it doesn't mean they accepted just to keep Purim. They accepted what they had already, Kimu, I'm sorry, they certified and validated what they had accepted already a thousand years earlier. In other words, they had accepted the Torah, but that acceptance was wishy washy. It was not a strong acceptance. So right now they solidify that acceptance by the story of Purim. Rashi says, may I have a because they were so excited because of the miracle that happened. So here's a couple of questions which we're going to ask. The obvious question, and Tosfos asked the question, 
uh, already in the, in, the, in the passage of the Talmud, Tosa says the question, why in the world did God have to force them when we were so excited? Everybody in kindergarten, this is what all the kids come home with, when, even when just the nursery, kindergarten, when they come home with their Shavuos projects, what is, the, what is the project? Everybody knows the two crowns. And why did we get two crowns? Because we were so excited to take the Torah, and we all said Nasa Venishma. If we said Nasa Venishma already, then why in the world do we need to be forced? It's an undue force. Like everybody's excited. Everybody's in. Everybody was in. Everybody said, we're willing to do the Torah even before you even command us. So then, even before we hear it, so if everybody's excited, why do you have to force them? So Tosas answers it kind of like a, an answer. It doesn't satisfy. Tosas says that God was afraid that when they'll start seeing the actual giving of the Torah happen, the thunder and the lightning, and the force of that moment, they'll chicken out. In other words, the intensity of that event was so strong that they'll suddenly get scared and they'll and they'll make a run for the forest. Okay, everybody, they'll run for the hills. So in order to, in order, so that's why at the last moment, God put it over the head, says, "There's no, no one is escaping. You're staying on the head. Stay put." That's Tosa's answer. But we're going to see as the years pass, we found much better, much richer answers, if you can say. And as we're going to see. Uh, a better answer, or I say a better, but uh, a geschmackere answer uh, for that question. The other question is, the other question is, if we say that because of the great miracles, uh, we accept it in the time of Purim, we accepted it wholeheartedly because of, of Purim, then why, well, because of the miracle, didn't we have enormous miracles when we went out of Mitzrayim? When we went out of Mitzrayim, we had enormous miracles, wonderful miracles, fantastic miracles. I spoke about this last week too. So why, if there were such miracles when we went out of Egypt, why couldn't that bring them the goodwill that they should accept the Torah? And then, and only the, the miracle of Purim got them so excited and brought them to a state of such love to Hashem that they were willing to take upon themselves the, the, the keeping of the Torah. So that needs to be understood. What is the Chiddush of the story of Purim? What's the novelty of Purim that will lead them to accept the Torah this time in a happy way. Um, now, going back to the story of the giving of the Torah, we say the Jewish people at the time of the giving of the Torah said, Nasa Venishma, we will do and we will hear. Which is, I mean, something that we're, we're all used to, that we've always said it. It says it in the, a few weeks ago in the parsha. But the question over here is really, a, 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 it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that whole statement, Nasa, we will do and we will hear. How do you do before you hear? It's impossible to do before you hear. You don't even have the information. You don't even know what is being asked. How do you do? It simply makes no sense to do and then hear. Hear means tell me what you need me to do. So you can explain it means I am ready to do no matter what. I don't have to consider. Obviously, we all understand that. But on the literal level, we will do and we will hear doesn't make any sense. You cannot do something if you didn't hear what, what it is you want me to do. Or maybe we could. Maybe we could. So here is where Rabbi Yitzhak Bardichev kind of begins his whole exploration. And he bases uh, on, on, on to answer this question. How can you do before you heard? So, well, let's go to the Agadah. In the Agadah Shal Pesach, we have an interesting statement. It's the favorite, one of the favorite parts of the Seder. It's when people are beginning, people are already dozing off, but everybody wakes up to this part. Okay? 
Every again, everybody's dozing off already. You wake up. I give you two guesses. Which part is it? Ten plagues. Okay. Isha'am. My, my wife says she's falling asleep by the Isha'am there already. <laughs> Where is people dozing off and they're waking up? She works very hard. Dayenu. That Dayenu. Everybody pops up by Dayenu. Dayenu is a very happy part of the thing. So in the Dayenu, if you would have brought us to Har Sinai and you would have not have given us the Torah, Dayenu, it is enough. In other words, it would be so wonderful. It was so good already just by bringing us to Har Sinai. The, the Mepharshim asked the question. The, the Raj, the Raj, uh, Raj Bam asked the question. Other, other, I mean, it's, it's asked by everybody. I mean, what's the good to come to Har Sinai and not receive the Torah? The whole point of coming to Har Sinai was to receive the Torah. So you're coming to Har Sinai, you're not given the Torah. What's the benefit? What's, what's there to celebrate? It, it, it defeats the purpose. The Har Sinai was the mountain that God chose to give them the Torah. If you stop and don't give them the Torah, then there's no point to it. But maybe not. Maybe actually coming to Har Sinai would have given us the whole Torah. And actually it did. See, the sages tell us that um, when the Jewish people came to Har Sinai, Pascha Zehamasa. It doesn't say when God gave the Torah, there is Zuhama. What does Pascha Zehamasa mean? Their their impurity, their 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 uh, all the all the def, all the all the impurity, all the the, the 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 poison, all the venom, all the darkness that went into our souls because of the sin of the tree of knowledge, which poisoned humanity. Uh, their early sin, which caused a disconnect, which caused a coarsening and a, and, a, and, a, and a darkening of our souls, the human soul, and implanted evil in our hearts. That Yitzhahara, when we came to Har Sinai, that was we were cleansed from it. And the sages don't don't say when we received the Torah. They said Yisrael Sha'amdu Bahar Sinai, Yidden that stuck stood at Har Sinai Paskas of Hamasa. That means that just standing at Har Sinai was an incredible experience. Well, let's understand what was the experience of standing at Har Sinai, and why is that so awesome? So we go again a step back, one step back. Sages tell us that Avram Avinu and Yitzchak and Yaakov, our forefathers, kept the entire Torah even before it was given. Our forefathers received and accept and literally kept the Torah before it was given. And here's the question again, if it wasn't given, how did they know? How did our fathers know the Torah if God never gave it? How did they know it? The answer is the Torah is made up of 613 commandments, which out of those 248 are positive, which means proactive commandments, and 365 are prohibitive, in which the sages tell us, now, why that number? Why 248 and 365? They correspond to the human body. The human body has 248 limbs, and he has two, and, and, and he has 365 arteries or blood vessels. A woman is slightly different, which we discussed another time, but that's basically the human structure. How many mitzvahs do we have? 248 corresponding to the limbs, and 365 corresponding to the arteries. And what does that mean? Says the great holy Rebbe Yitzhak We have a physical body and we have a spiritual soul. And our physical body is a garment to the soul. And just like a tailor, when he makes a garment, makes a garment to fit all the, all the particulars of the body, a good tailor, a good dressmaker will make a dress that really, really suits and fits every part of the body. So too, when Hashem crafted a body to fit the soul, it fits the soul exactly. 
And therefore, there are 248 limbs of the soul, spiritual limbs, and, two, and 365 spiritual arteries. Our body is a receptacle, is a garment, like a receptacle, a keli for the neshama, for the soul. Now the soul, the soul's limbs and arteries, their upkeep, their nourishment and their upkeep to run smoothly is through the 365 prohibitions and the 248 positive commandments, which means they are basically the mechanics and the nutrition and the health of the soul. The soul lives off these commandments because the soul, just like a physical body, has needs nutrition and the body needs its 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 uh, its to be kept up. And just like when it comes to physical needs of our body, to live healthy, to live a healthy life, generally, mostly, one can listen to their body. If you if you tune in, if you listen to your body, you know what's good, what's not good. I mean, today's days, people make a lot of money from being coaching, healthy living, and so on and so forth. And it's always good to read up and to find out what studies and so on and so forth. But intrinsically, inherently, the body knows what's good, what's not good. If we take something that's not too good, our body immediately, uh, or many times, especially how sensitive your body a body is, can alert you that, uh-oh, this wasn't good. And when we eat the right foods and we're taking the things, the body is happy. So we know what's good. And a person needs to have. From the foods that we eat that God prepared for us, there are all kinds of foods that nurture and send the right minerals and, and vitamins and so on and so forth for all the parts of the body. The eyes need, you know, uh, vitamin D, I think. The, uh, very, vitamin A. Vitamin A is very good for the eyes. The bones need calcium. And the different parts of the body need various different things. And a person doesn't have to read science, um, uh, um, a science paper, doesn't have to read medical journals generally to know if there's a problem, if something is wrong, then you go find out. But generally, if you only use common sense, then you will understand and appreciate that you need to eat your veggies and it's not just good to eat. And you take care of your body. It's in the same exact way that a soul knows what is necessary for the upkeep of the soul and the soul would know it inherently intrinsically it does not need to be taught what it needs in order for its maintenance and for its health the soul knows the mitzvahs the upkeep of the soul is through the 248 because the 248 mitzvahs and the 365 prohibitions are the divine structure and the soul being a piece of God plugs itself into God, every single limb and every single order, every single organ through an artery, through the, through the corresponding arteries of Hashem and the corresponding limbs of God. And that's the Torah because the Torah is one with Hashem. And therefore you don't have to know, you don't have to study Torah to keep mitzvahs. You can know them intrinsically, but there's only one condition. You have to really, really, really be in tune with your soul like you're in tune with your body. For that, is not, that's not the reality for most of us. We are physical people and we sense our physicality, our bodies. We sense our bodies much more than we sense our nishan. Our soul is distant. Our soul is far. We're not in tune with the nishan. We're in tune with the body.
When the soul, when the body is not feeling well, we feel it immediately. You have a headache, you have a stomach ache, you know something is wrong. When your soul isn't feeling well, it doesn't necessarily always reflect in a person's consciousness. Besides, if you are a great tzaddik. And that is the story of our forefathers. Avon Yitzhak and Yaakov, the father, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, the very great tzaddikim. They were people whose bodies did not obscure or hide their soul at all. So their complete consciousness was the consciousness of their neshama. And therefore, they were in tune with their bodies, with their souls, even more than we are in tune with our bodies. They were so sensitive to the nuances of the neshama. So intrinsically, from within their neshama, they kept all of Torah and they kept all of mitzvahs. It wasn't, nothing had to be taught to them because these mitzvahs were natural. This is how the soul thrives. This is how the soul lives. The spiritual, uh, these mitzvahs are the upkeep. This is, this is the... This is the life of the neshama. The, 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 the neshama's mind needs to chew on Torah, needs to munch on Torah. That's its, that's its food, and so on and so forth. So we didn't need, however, people that are material, people whose, whose consciousness is registering on the material level, on the physical level, and the neshama is, is distant. We know we're not we're not a pure soul because the soul is very, very, very much obscured and hidden when it comes into a body, especially when we don't do due diligence to keep our neshama uh, very, 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 very up, open and dominating. We allow the body to creep up over the soul and take over. Then the body obscures and conceals the neshama. We don't feel that, and that's why we needed to receive a physical Torah. In order to keep the Torah, we need to read it in the book, and then we know how to live our lives. Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov and our forefathers, the great, great saintly tzaddikim, they didn't need to read it in the book. They knew it intrinsically on their own. When we came to Har Sinai, that magic happened to all of us just by coming to Har Sinai. Because there was a preparation, first of all, the 49 days, first of all, the miracles of Matthias Mitzrayim already uplifted the people to a very high place. Going through the sea uplifted them very high. Counting every day the Omer, they, even though they didn't have a mitzvah to count the Omer, but they were counting down to the giving of the Torah, had such an impact on them. When Moshe gave them the mitzvahs uh, uh, of three days of preparation, also they separated from their wives uh, as, as it was an in, it was a, 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 a intro to the giving of the Torah, plus they did a certain service of sacrifices. Moshe Rabbeinu sent the Bukhorim, the firstborn, to offer offerings. That whole procedure had a huge impact in diminishing their external physical trappings and allowing their neshama to be set free. So in this time, and, so, and also the holiness of Har Sinai, as Hashem, this was the mountain chosen by God, so even before Hashem even began Aseris Adibras, our souls were uplifted completely over our body that we had no more physical entrapments. It was as if our souls left the body. The people at that time were actually living in heaven. They weren't even on earth in that sense. They were completely spiritual beings even before God started giving the Torah. And therefore, on their own, they kept the Torah. That's why they said, Nasa, we're ready to do <laughs> Vinishma, we're going to hear the mitzvahs as well. But they knew it already. And other words, they knew all the 600, it's possible idea. As they stood at Har Sinai, they knew. And that's why we say, by the Seder, if you would only bring us to Har Sinai and you haven't given us the Torah, it would have been good enough because we would have known it from just standing there. 
Certainly, Yitzhak Bardichev, I guess, would experience this every year in Shavuos, so he can talk from his own experiences. That just by getting ready for Shavuos, he, he refers to it called the Spashtas Agashmias. They kind of, they they were all lifted up to be like, 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 like prophets. They were a complete in a different zone. So then the question is, so why did Hashem have to give the Torah? Well, he says, well, well, that's exactly the reason why God held a mountain over their, over their head and forced them to, uh, to accept the Torah. The reason for that being is because the fact, it's similar to the teaching that I said last week from the Altar Rebbe. The Altar Rebbe says that when Hashem held the mountain over their head means he bombarded them with love. And because he bombarded them with some such love, they couldn't say no to him. So it wasn't because we are making a conscious, rational decision to be married to God, it was forced upon us by Hashem's love. But similar to that, he says, we were not physical beings when we were accepting the Torah, or even though we were physical, but we were not inhabiting our bodies. We were above our bodies. And Hashem knew that we will not remain that way when we move a couple of blocks away from our Sinai. It will change. What's the proof? Take a look at us now, right? We've gone a little bit far from our Sinai. We're actually walking on the Brea Boulevard now next to Hollywood and Sunset. It's a whole different story. You're not in that state of mind like you were when you're standing at Harsinai in the desert with Moshe Rabbeinu with 600,000 root souls at the giving with the angels dancing around and around. You're in a whole different head space and a whole different heart space and a whole different consciousness. And as because of that, where would we be when we're far away? We would never have taken the Torah. I mean, there's no, so therefore Hashem had to hold a mountain over their head and say, listen here, I know now you're loving it, you're thriving it, you feel that keeping mitzvahs is your life. I'm saying this, you feel that this is your health. Literally, you're, you know you're going to live this way because this is, this is life and you're not going to do something detrimental to your health, but you're going to come a time when you're not going to see that you're, that keeping Torah and mitzvahs is the health, uh, is 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 what's keeping you alive and what's keeping you healthy you will think other things will make you happy other things will give you life other things that are important you won't necessarily connect it so hashem had to hold the mountain over our head to make sure that under all conditions we will keep the tone okay so that's states idea number one but it has a second it has a corresponding aspect to it as well and the jewish people themselves we're at that time in a state of what we might call godless amochen. We were in a state of expansive consciousness, incredible state of consciousness. And therefore, our acceptance would only count on such a high level, but the acceptance would not count when we would get down to a lowly level and a dark place. And therefore, Hashem had to force upon us to giving the Torah. There was a corresponding aspect to the rest of the world as well. And that is, when God performs miracles, when Hashem does, Hashem suspended nature, as we discussed last week. Hashem suspended everything around them was was on a completely re revealed godly state. They saw the ten plagues. They went through a, they, the sea split before them. Bread was coming from heaven every day. Water were coming from rocks. The whole situation was a complete nature wasn't there anymore. God basically shut nature down for them for the last two months. In that case, obviously, when one is living with God and Hashem is completely conspicuously revealed, when Hashem is tangible and the, and the world and the world is distant and far, obviously at that point, at another reason why we would accept to keep Torah and Mitzvahs, because we see that the divine is reality. God is the only reality. You can see clearly Hashem is the reality. Who in the right mind would want to separate from Hashem? 
However, when God runs the world in a more natural way, when nature takes over, when you're living in day-to-day -day life and you're not seeing Hashem in a very vivid way, you see the world running its natural course. And in order to make a living, you have to go out and work and you go through daily life and the grind of daily life. And you have all the obstacles and hardships. And, and sometimes the obstacles and hardships are around and connected to keeping Torah and mitzvahs. Sometimes it's not like every time you set about to do a mitzvah and to do the holy things, it's like uh, smearing uh, peanut butter on a sandwich, smooth and easy. Doesn't work that way. There's a lot of bumps and humps and a lot of a lot of difficulties and a lot of obstacles. So, you, in other words, when nature is not necessarily compliant, when nature is obscuring and blocking, and the natural seems utterly divorced from God, it's a whole different story. And in situations like that, not necessarily is someone inspired and excited to live the godly life and the two of them are really connected this so what we're talking about is the state of the world in the state of of of, of har sinai the world was in a state where hashem parted all the veils and god was revealed that's number one but also in terms of the jewish people because they had this transcendental experience when they came to har sinai they were above the natural world so the people were higher and the entire world was higher and the two goes together because the, the the Jewish people are the heart heartbeat of the world, the soul of creation. So when the Jews rise, the whole world rises. So the reason the whole world at that time was risen to a supernatural state where God was revealed because the Jewish people were then in a very heightened, high spiritual elevated state. And it works the other way around because the world, because Hashem threw the world into a miraculous state, the Jewish people were picked up. So whatever it was, these two things were working for them at that time. So when we are accepting the Torah under those circumstances, it really does not say much regarding what would be when you're living in a world where you don't see past. You have very narrow vision. In other words, we have very earthy physical vision. And the world itself is a world that is obscuring and hiding. We're living in nature day by day, time and, time and space constrictions, difficulties, hardships. It doesn't always seem like the godly way is the healthiest, uh, uh, best, and so on and so forth. There's questions, difficulties. I mean, in the end, you see it, but it's not easy to always see it. Sometimes you have to think deeper and meditate a little bit and get counsel and, 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 and work hard to be able to sense that this is the way to go. And that's why Hashem held a mountain over their head because he said, by hook or by crook, you're going to keep my mitzvahs. When you're feeling it, when your soul is on fire for me or when you're not on fire for me and when it's very dark and you're going to be living in a very natural existence, I, I need you to keep Torah and mitzvahs and you'll accept it. And that's why we accepted it then under duress. So the need of the mountain over, over their head was for not for Har Sinai, for that time we didn't need it. We needed it for three and a half thousand years later. We needed it for the whole long duration of time of observance of mitzvahs. When we went through a 2000 year exile of, 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 of darkness and concealment, and yet in this particular time, we stayed loyal. We stayed devoted to Torah and mitzvahs, even though being a Jew was not difficult. And I'm sorry, it was difficult. And being a Jew sometimes led to not the best con uh, uh, consequences. And yet we, st we, st we stuck it through. Why? Because Hashem, initially it was because Hashem held the mountain over the head. And that's why we would have had an excuse that when it's difficult, we never accepted it only by force. Came the story of Purim and it turned everything around. Why did the story of Purim turn everything around? Because the story of Purim demonstrated to us a whole different reality. 
The story of Purim was a complete different story like we discussed last week. It was a complete different, it was also miracles. The story of Purim was a miraculous story. But the miracles of Purim were completely different than the miracles that happened during the time of, of, of the going out of Mitzrayim. The going out of Mitzrayim, as we spoke earlier, Hashem shut and Hashem kind of moved nature to the side and revealed himself to us. There was no natural world. Everything was miraculous. Purim, Hashem allowed nature to completely remain in its place. But within nature, Hashem is showing us that he is the reality within the natural world. In other words, what happened in the time of Purim was that God was peeking through the cracks. As the Pesach says, Hashem is looking through the windows. When you look at the story of Purim, you do see the divine. But you see the divine masquerading and natural causes. Everything was kind of encased in the physical regular story. Nothing happened that was so, so fantastically a suspension of the spirit of the of the physical things. Everything kept on working normally. The king lost his wife. He got angry. Now he needs to find a new queen. She happens to be beautiful. Yes, you can argue there are so many other beautiful women. Why her? Okay. So that's like, that's the miracle. The miracle is that... But it's still not defying nature. The fact that Mordechai hears the assassination attempt, he was lucky. He was at the right place at the right time. The fact that all these things come together, in a, it's an amazing story. You see the miracle, but the miracle again is very, as we called it last week, it's a, it's a good class to listen to the last week class. We called it last week, it was a soft miracle. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, 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 a hard miracle. It didn't crush anything. It didn't break anything. Ah, so what did that do? What did that do? What did the Purim story, what kind of an effect did it have? The story, Purim story had an effect on the Jewish people that even when our feet are on the ground, when we are material, physical people living in a natural world. Again, in Purim, we're not floating in the clouds. The Jewish people were living in a Persian kingdom. They were not, they're in the shamans, their souls were not on a heightened state of spirituality, of ecstasy, of bliss, where they're feeling their souls are literally leaving their body. They were very, very physical at that time. The people, their consciousness was very physical. And their view on life, what they saw was a natural world. And God came down so low to reveal himself within the natural order to people that are not in on a high on an abstract level people in the physical natural world when they were in let's call it when the people were in a state of he doesn't actually use that term but i think it's a good term to use when people were in a state of constricted consciousness not a tzaddik not a high high level where there's no more impurity from the chayta eagle no 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 i'm sorry when there's no more impurity of the chayta of the tree of knowledge we're back living in a world under the darkness, with Yetzahara, with all these businesses. But we're noticing how God is everywhere. Hashem is the reality. Hashem is the truth. He's behind everything. Nature itself, God is running it every moment. Usually nature doesn't, doesn't allow us to see Hashem unless we look. We're act actively looking. The story of Purim was that Hashem kind of lifted up the general veil of the natural world that we don't have to look too hard we don't have to contemplate to see god it's pretty obvious but it's within the natural setting so what does this tell us that living a that god is the reality of nature which really means that what living a life in accordance to god's wishes which is Torah and mitzvahs is the healthy way to live the godly way to live and this is actually 
a way that we all want to live because we know that Hashem is the power. He is the power and He's the only power. And therefore, connecting to Him is the only way to go. For what? For living a good life, healthy. We don't do it for that. But we want to be connected because that's reality. And that's the story of proof. And as a result of that, it changed the whole, their, their, whole, their, whole, their whole thing. And therefore, once they can see Hashem in nature, so now when they're accepting the Torah, it's, it's, it's not, their acceptance is right now covering the two, the two faults that there were in the earlier, in the earlier, in the earlier acceptance. The earlier acceptance was faulty for two reasons. Number one, they, their consciousness was very high and, and not, so they weren't accepting it on a down-to-earth consciousness. Ordinary people, working people, people that are very pragmatic, down-to-earth people did not accept the Torah. Spiritual people accepted the Torah. Uh, people that were flying in heaven. They were kind of on a, on, a, on, a, on a, they were floating in heaven when they accepted the Torah. Hippies. They were spiritual hippies. They were, they were in a different place. They were not ordinary people. They were living in a desert. They were not, they were not over here. After Ma'ba, but this story, people that were down here. Secondly, the circumstances in the world around them was not a suspension of nature. A fit, a, 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 an existence in the physical world, a regular world, and yet they accepted the Torah. Now, that was the Kiddush of Purim. Now, to take that, and therefore, he says, let's take a look at the name of Purim. We asked the question before. Here's the idea. What does Purim mean? What does Purim mean? Purim means... Poor means a lottery. What's a lottery? A lottery is only when there is choices. Okay? When there is choices, there is a lottery. It means you can go this way or you can go that way. So here's the amazing thing. He says like this. Beyond nature, outside of this small world that we're in now, we're, we're living in this construct called the natural world. We know that the, the cosmos are stacked. Spiritual cosmos. Above our world is a world of angels. Above that is a world of higher angels. Above that, higher and higher. And it goes higher and higher. Here's an amazing thing. Right above our reality, outside of this bubble that we live in, there is no two. There's no duality. There's only one. In every realm of existence, there's only one being, and that is God. Everybody knows there's only God. There's only one way to go. Serve Hashem, connect to Him, and that's it. Because he's the only reality. In this bubble called nature, there is two. There is this way or that way. I can, every moment of life, I can choose to serve or not to serve. I can choose God, God forbid, or I can choose, God forbid, the opposite. What's called, what the Alter Rebbe refers to as Sitra Achra, the other side. Why? This duality, this two is in this world. Because this is the, na the natural world. The natural world conceals and obscures Hashem. Hashem set it up that way, that he didn't dislike so much in the natural, so that every, every moment in life, you can choose to go to the right or go to the left. You can listen to the one on the right side, which is the Yetzirah Tov. You can listen to the Yetzirah Hara. There is a duality. That means only down here, he says, there's something called a Goral. A Goral means two options. The lottery can fall like this. It can fall to Baruch Mordechai, or it can fall to Ur Haman, cursed as Haman. Meaning we can go two ways. We can choose the blessed life, the cursed life, because we don't realize that this is blessed and that's cursed. We just, we, we think sometimes that forbidden things or things that are not the best for us are the blessed things. And the, devoting yourself to doing mitzvah sometimes could feel chas cursed. God forbid, it's possible. In this world, that's possible. And that's what makes this world so meaningful. 
But above, above our physical world, above there, there is no Goro. The whole story of, 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 of the whole story of the Megillah, the whole Purim story is that in the realm of Purim, in the realm of the natural world, where there is a duality, where there are options, where you can choose right and wrong, we can choose God or God to choose the other side. It became clear that choosing Hashem, that Hashem is the reality. The miracle happened in the realm of Purim. And that's the whole novelty of Purim over every other time. All other times when there were miracles, the miracles didn't happen within the natural world. The miracles happened in a way that nature moved to the side and a new reality was displayed. God kind of, you know, is set up, has a different system, not the system of nature. The story of Purim is that the truth that divine reality, the MS, that Hashem is the reality of the poor world. The poor, I mean, the poor is the world of lottery. The world where there is a, a God and a not God, God is the true reality. In the natural world. That's why we emphasize on Purim, the miracle, the whole yacht of this called Purim. Because over here, we're so, um, we're, we're, we, 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 we're so excited about the fact that everyday living, my life and your life, as it is so mundane, as it is so regular, as it is so much, you know, un without any divine revelation, yet I can see the truth and I can know the truth that Hashem is the reality of every aspect of my parnasa, of my children, of my health. Yes, I am taking vitamins. Yes, I'm doing exercise. Yes, I'm going to the doctor, but I know the doctor is God. The vitamins is God. The healthy food that I'm eating is Hashem. This that I'm, it's all Hashem. Everything is Him because I see God in nature itself. That's the story of Purim. So he brings from the Doi Bear the Magid. He brings from the Mizritcha Magid, his Rebbe. He was a student of the Mizritcha Magid. He says, why is Esther called Esther? It's called Esther because Esther is Hester. It's concealment. It's because the whole story of Purim is within the realm of concealment. It's a time of concealment. It's a time of concealment. But the Bardit and the Rebbe says the same word. And it's interesting if the Rebbe brings it from Levi Yitzhak Bardichev. I'm going to have to look at it if the Lubavitcher brings it from Levi Yitzhak Bardichev. But the Rebbe speaks about this many times. Megillah's Esther means, Megillah means to reveal Hester, who the reality is in the Hester, in the concealment. In the concealed world, in the everyday living, where the miracles are not happening, the story of the Megillah uncovers and reveals that God is the reality. And then when we see that, when we are ordinary, regular, day-to-day -day people, we choose with an excitement and with a happiness to live the healthy, only real life. And that is a life of Torah and mitzvahs because this is the reality down here, not the reality. And he brings a Gemara Masechtis uh, Megillah. The Gemara says there's a Pasuk that says, there's a verse that says, kol oretz es Yeshua that the the, 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 the very ends of the earth saw the salvation of God. So the Gemara says that that Pasuk, hold on one over here. Um, where is it over here? Oh, so the, the Gemara says in Mesechtas Megillah, when did the, the old corners of the earth see as Yeshua Selokeinu, the salvation of Hashem? So it until then we didn't see the ends of the earth did not see um that, that Hashem is the, the, the salvation of Hashem. 
What are you talking about? There were much greater miracles. When Yeshua, when Joshua stopped the sun, was that not a greater miracle? But the whole world, it says, it says the whole world knew of Yeshua, knew of, knew the miracle because everybody saw the sun stop. It's a crazy miracle. Some of the other miracles publicized God's greatness. So what does the Gemara mean that the is only the story of Purim? And the answer is as follows. He says, miracles are not called earth. Miracles are called heaven. Heaven is a world, is a realm of miracles. Shamayim. The Shama is called heaven. Earth is nature. The emphasis of earth is nature. Afsei Aretz, the word Afsei, Afsei Aretz means the strength of earth. Afsei is also from the word strength. Afsei Aretz means the strong ones of the earth. What does that mean? Nature, when nature is strong. Nature, the natural world, when the natural world is in its full vigor and its full strength. The story of Purim was a story of a world running its natural course. But instead of what people thought would be the outcome of nature running its curve, its, its course, which would be a bloodbath, where the anti-Semites thought that they have it already, they have Ahasuerus' ring, and they're able to wipe out the Hashmid as Kala Yehudim. That's going to be the result of God that's sleeping. They knew of a God, but they thought that God fell asleep. And as a result of that, they thought they can get away with because nature itself is allowing them to do what they what they wanted to do. No, 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 no. That nature itself got to see that God is the truth of a natural word story. You saw the nat the natural story unfolding, and it fell. It came out to be. For the, the Purim, the lottery where things could go two ways went for the for the uh, revealed itself as as falling on the lot for the Jewish people for, for the salvation of Yidin, bringing us the greatest yontif. That's the beauty of Purim, and that's the greatness of Purim. And with this, we're gonna we're gonna he, he wraps it up with an amazing teaching. And he says, really, it wasn't only the miracle that. This, this, okay, all this is we, we've heard before mostly. What's really beautiful, what I think is really spectacular, is his next piece, which which he which is his conclusion of all of this, and that is he says that when the Jewish people accepted to to the Torah, then after the story of Purim, it was because of the miracle, but it wasn't only because of the miracle. What really triggered in their soul the acceptance of all the Torah mitzvahs is this Megillah. What happened is like this. He says, after the story of Purim, Mordechai and Esther wrote the Megillah. They wrote it down. They sent it to all the Jewish communities. They did not yet institute Purim. He, he proves it from the verses. They didn't institute Purim yet because the sages weren't sure yet. So they just sent it to them for the first year, on the first anniversary, of course, even if you're not com commemorating this forever, you have to make, even according, even on a miracle that you're not going to, when a miracle happens to any individual person, you should, the year following the miracle, on the yard site of the miracle, you should make a, a party. And last year, a miracle happened to me. We call it a suda So that's for sure everybody. The, the Jewish people were saved from the brink of annihilation. One year celebrating was, hands down, something they ought to do. They wrote a Megillah for one year to read it that year. As they wrote this Megillah, and the like Rashi says, after that, they, the next year they instituted it as a young thing. So the first year it wasn't yet instituted. What brought the sages to institute it the second year? 
that they would read it. He says they saw the incredible impact that reading the Megillah had on the people. And watch this. So awesome. He says like this. The Torah, the, one of the differences between the Megillah and the Torah is that the rest of the Torah, you have, obviously we all know this, it has God's name many times. The Torah is Hashem's name, right? First of all, it says the whole Torah is Hashem's name. But you have Hashem's names all over the Torah. Yudkei Vavkei, the Tetragrammaton, Elohim, Shakai, Kael. You have all the various different names of Hashem in the Torah many, many times. In the Megillah, we don't have Hashem's name even written one time, explicitly. It's not mentioned once. Everybody asks the question, how can they have written such a story with God's salvation and not mention Hashem's name? Secondly, it is written in the Megillah, Hashem's name, but Hashem is only alluded to in the Megillah in what we call Rashi Tevis. Rashi Tevis means an acronym. Acronym means you have four words together, if you look at the first letter of the fourth world, it's encoded in it, it's embedded. You see Yudke Vavke. He says you find Hashem's name in the Megillah in two codes, in the beginning of the word and in the end of the word. That means, for example, Yavai Hamelech Vahaman Hayom. It says the king and Haman should come today. The first letter spell out Yudke Vavke. Then there is another pasuk, another, another verse. The last letters of those words, that's what Haman says. All this, all my honor means nothing to me when I see Mordechai. The last letters in those words, when Haman the anti-Semite is saying, all this is meaningless to me. All my honor, I, I, I don't take any pleasure in it when I see that Jewish scoundrel that doesn't stand up before me, right? The last letters of those words spell God's name, Yud Kevach. So you see Hashem, and it's others, other places in the Megillah where you have Hashem's name hiding. Where is it hiding? It's hiding in the front letters and it's hiding in the back letters. He says, why is that? Why does the Torah have Hashem's names written all over it? And the Megillah doesn't have Hashem's name written over it. So watch this unbelievable explanation. It says the Torah, first of all, we got to know, existence is the Torah. Why? That means the, the entire universe, on all levels, spiritual, physical, everything, it's all structured around the Torah. Why? The Zohar tells us, the Medrash tells us also, God looks into the Torah and he created the world. So the worlds were created from the Torah. That means that the very, very substance of all of existence are the 613 commandments. That's their substance. Because Hashem structures himself, as we know, the Sefirot, the mitzvahs are the, the energies of the Sefirot, which the Sefirot are the backbone of all of creation and all of existence. So the Torah is the reality of the world. Okay, fine. Now, the difference, however, is in the upper worlds, in the higher realms, in the spiritual realms, it is visible within the structure, within the world themselves, you can see that their inner structure is a mitzvah, is halacha. You can see how every single system, how the entire system of how things operate is, are the laws of Torah. Because the worlds up there are transparent. When they come lower and lower and lower, they get not as transparent, but they're still translucent. So you can still see something lower, lower, lower. You can still see through. The world is a see-through world. 
You can see how Shabbos is the energy of time. Shabbos, six days and Shabbos and so on and so forth. You can see how Muktzarun, you know, you move a Mukta thing, it, it causes damage. And you, 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 you keep a mitzvah, it, it, it brings blessing. You can see it clearly on all realms of existence. However, down here below in the natural world, you don't see it. Even though God, halacha is is the 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 panemius, the inner dimension of the physical world. That means physical health is dependent on keeping halacha and Torah mitzvahs. Just living a life down here in the physical world and its healthiest way, according to the way the system was meant to work, is a life of Torah and mitzvahs. That's the truth, but it's obscured, it's hidden because the natural world is opaque. It's thick, it's dense, it does not allow you to see its MS is true. So therefore he says, and then, oh, so in Torah, which Torah itself um, is in the Torah, it's contained the map of all of existence, all of existence. You see God's name explicitly stated because in the upper spiritual worlds, God's name is written all over. So there's no, there's no, there's no reason for the Torah to hide Hashem's name, because Torah and mitzvahs themselves are openly stated in the Torah. In the Torah, you can see you're reading this mitzvah, you're reading that mitzvah. Of course, in Chumash itself, you don't really see it all. You need to have. The sages, Torah Shabbat Peh, which translated, but once the sages translate, you go back to the Chumash, you see how it's all nuanced, it's all there. In other words, the Torah, the mitzvahs, and Hashem are explicit and revealed in the Torah. And why? Because since the Torah is made up of heavenly entity, of the heavens above, and in heaven, God is fully revealed. The Torah is also the reality of earth, of nature. But since nature is obscuring, and since nature is hiding, so down here below, down here in the physical world, you don't see how the Torah is its soul, how Torah is its pulse, how Torah is the life of the physical world. As we said earlier, that's why it's possible to choose the opposite, as we spoke earlier. Okay. The Megillah, however, is meant to be Megillah's Esther. It's meant to reveal the godliness of the physical world. That means the story of the Megillah is not the story of the heavens above. Although Thursday night we did read a passage in the Megillah and we found that, that it, it does have secrets of the mysteries of the spiritual dimensions at all. But particularly, Megillah's Esther is here to deal with the natural physical world and to uncover the godly that's in the physical. Okay. Since in the physical you do not have, meaning in the material natural world, you don't have an explicit presence of God. In the material physical world, you don't have a material, a, an explicit presence. It's not like you walk down the street and say, here I see God. It doesn't work that way because God, God is shrouded in nature. The Megillah as well does not have an explicit statement of Hashem. But since the Megillah is not the natural world, the Megillah is to uncover the godly in the natural. So therefore, the Hashem's name has to be there. But it's there hinted. Which means you can find little pieces of godliness and you can piece them together. 
Just like the story of the Megillah. What makes the story of the Megillah a godly story? What makes the story of the Megillah a godly story? What makes the story of the Megillah a godly story is when you piece the pieces together. That's why in Hashem's name, the Yudke Vofke, Hashem's name has to be pieced together. You have a Yud from this word, from this word, from this word, because you got to take the pieces. You have to look. You have to look beyond the veil. You have to look at the various different pieces of life. Like we can also look in our own lives. Sometimes we don't see the godly. Sometimes we don't see the godly. But when we turn around in our own lives and we look back and we see how like these things, how this all match up, then you see Hashem's hand. Sometimes you look back at the last 10 years and you say, take a look what happened. When you start piecing the pieces together, you see Hashem. That's the meaning that the name is not explicit. It's there. That's why Yudke Vavke is made up of different words. Like in a story, you take the different parts together. You don't have it written explicitly. But he takes it one step further. There is a pasuk that says, this is so great. It says, Ani Rishon, I am first. Ani Acharon, I am last. Umi Baladai, and besides from me, Ainalokim, there's no God. There's no force. There's no power other than me. So what does this verse mean? Hashem himself says, I am before creation. I am before, before all of all worlds. I exist higher than creation. I am first. I also exist last. I exist past everything and beyond everything. At the end of everything, it's only me. So God is before everything, which, which represents God's transcendence. He is above it all and beneath it all. He's above everything and under everything. But how about in the space of everything? So the Pasuk says, Umi that even in the space, in the middle space where creation is, where there is other things, stuff, beings, aside from me, nothing exists. I am the reality of that as well. But there is a difference. In heaven above, you don't have to close your eyes when you say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Why? Because in heaven above, you can look at every tree, at every cloud, at every creature. Talking about spiritual trees and spiritual crowds and spiritual creatures and spiritual birds and spiritual. Every single thing you see in heaven, it's see-through. So you can see the godly energy pulsating in everything. So you know, when we say Hashem Echad, we close our eyes. because when we. But in heaven, you don't have to. You can stand with your eyes wide open and say, Ein There's nothing but Hashem. You don't need miracles. To be able to say God is the only reality because the structure of existence itself screams Hashem. Says God is, there's none but Him. But down here below in the physical world, when a miracle happens, when God thwarts nature, and He, then you can point to God. That means when Hashem reveals Himself as Ani Risho, Ani Risho means I am higher than the world, and that's why I can suspend nature. Hashem can play with nature. When a miracle happens, then what? Then we can point to God. But those miracles are from Ani Rishon, I am before. Ani Acharon, I am later. But when miracles are not here, when, they, when life is going on day by day, the natural order, the world is running its course on a natural day by day basis without any interference with the Ebershtil from Hashem in the world. That means when I just open my eyes and walk down the street, 
I don't see Hashem. I can't say there's none but him. I don't see him because the physical world is opaque. However, when God does miracles, whether it's complete miracles, like what? Like like Hanukkah, like a, like Pesach, spectacular miracles, which are coming from Hashem being above nature, or even the miracles of Purim. But it's not it's not the natural world as it is. It's Hashem showing Himself in the natural world. Oh, then we can see it. So when down here below the revelation of God, hear this: the revelation of God is only in Rosh Tevis or in Sofei Tevis. Rosh Tevis means the beginning of a word, the first letters of the word, or the end, because the first letters of the word represent the beginning of every word is Ani Rishon, I am first, I am prior to creation. The last letters of the words are from Ani Acharon, I am behind creation. I, the world is sandwiched in me, that's what God says, I'm enveloping the world, I am before it, I'm after it, everything is sandwiched in me. Since miracles come from Hashem's above nature, so therefore, where is God's name seen down here in this world, in the physical world? Where can you see God's name in the physical world? Only in the Russia Tavis, only in the first letters or in the last letters. But you never have Hashem's name covering the middle letters because the middle letters is the world, is the actual physical world. Over there, you don't see Hashem. In Torah, you could. Why in Torah can you see Hashem's name even in the middle letters? Because Torah is the, is, is the map of the spiritual cosmos. In the spiritual cosmos, you can see Hashem in everything, even in the even. You don't have to look for a miracle to see God. Hashem is the ev evident reality of everything without looking above it or beyond it or lower than it. You can just look at the word itself and see God. The Torah is a light, is the light, is the energy, is the is the is the map. It's the map it's of the entire system. So since the Torah is not addressing particularly the physical, but the entire structure, you can even see Hashem, his name explicitly stated in the middle letters, not only the first letters or the last letters. But in the Megillah, since the Megillah is meant to reveal godliness in the physical world, it has its limitations. Hashem's name can only be in the first letters. It can be in the last letter. Because if you're going to put Hashem's name into the middle letters, you're going to undo physicality. It's no more the physical world. I mean, when Mashiach comes, that's when godliness will be written over everything. Because already the truth will come out. We will see through. We will have been done polishing the physical world. So he says, what happens when you read the Megillah? What happens when you read the Megillah is as follows. Number one, you're causing, literally, when we read the Megillah, since this is the, the story, the godly, the miracle where godliness reveals itself within the physical world, a cosmic, hear this clearly, it's amazing, a cosmic purification and refinement takes place in the entire natural order. The world is completely different. The entire world is completely different from before the Megillah to after the Megillah. It's almost like this powerful vacuum cleaner that literally vacuums all the dust and all this extra accumulated stuff that are blocking God. And literally in one shot cleans the entire air of all pollutants. And the time you've done the Megillah, it's a very clean, clear, beautiful blue sky. It's like, you know, after the rains over here just yesterday, we walked out such clear, clean, such a blue sky, the blueness, the crispness of the air, the entire. It's not a elevation beyond nature. 
It's a purification and a cleansing of the natural world. He calls it a purification of nature. Now, what else? What else? Since the truth of all of, of the physical world is Torah and mitzvahs, that means the Megillah contains within it 613 commandments. All the mitzvahs of the Torah are here in the Megillah. The reason it's not like the Torah where it's openly revealed because the Torah is speaking in the upper world. In the upper world, you can see how the systems are the system. Halakha is the system of the world. But over here, it's shrouded. Therefore, you're not going to see it. But when you read the Megillah, and that's why this is the most obligatory read, because this is the most important thing. When a Jew hears the reading of the Megillah Purim by night, number one, he says you're tapping Mordechai and Esther's energy when you're hearing the Megillah. Basically, they wrote it. They captured the godliness of the natural world. They uncovered it. They, only they, were able to capture the elokus that runs Teva, that runs the natural world, and reveal it in their words. That's why he said you can't read it in a different language. Torah you can learn in all languages. This you have to read in their exact words, because only in this particular code, that they embed and that they put in the actual godliness that's the, the the whole that's the godliness of the physical world and therefore when you read the megillah the way they read it you're actually experiencing two things a purification of the entire world plus a purification of you as an individual of your 248 limbs and 365 organs for it to be synchronized with the Torah and mitzvahs as the health and the well-being of a physical human being on the on this on this planet. Therefore, automatically, when you're done the Megillah, so he says, like it's just it's so, so so beautiful. So let's go with it. When you're learning Torah, when you're learning Torah, if you learn to other other parts of when you're learning, studying Chumash, you're learning Talmud, whatever you're learning. If you're learning Torah in a, in, a, in a holy way, that means you learn Torah with pure intentions and with the right to serve Hashem and to get to know God. He says, automatically when you finish learning Torah, I wish it would happen to me. Uh, he's talking about something really exquisite. He says, when you finish learning Torah, all the lights of the spiritual heavens open up in your nishan. Therefore, what should happen when a Yid learns Torah? Since the Torah is the map of the cosmos, and the spiritual chambers above and the angels are full of love of Hashem, fear of Hashem, and, and joy in God. Hear this. Since the spiritual heavens above are full of love and fear and joy in God, since you're tapping, you're downloading these energies into your neshama, I mean, the Rebbe Yitzchak must be talking about an experience that happened to him. When you finish learning Torah, let's say you spend two hours of learning, what happens? You suddenly will feel enormous love of Hashem and fear of Hashem in your mission. That should happen whenever you learn Torah. However, we understand there's a limitation. What's the limitation? You have to be a person who can rise up to the spiritual realms where all that is revealed. The beauty of the Megillah is Megillah is meant for down-to-earth reading. <laughs> Megillah is not meant for transcendental reading. Megillah is meant for the people who have their feet firmly planted in the physical, material world. And over here, as a physical human being, not as a spiritual person who can sense heaven, as a person who, who doesn't go out of nature, 
a person who's living in nature, our lives are natural, our physical existence is physical. Yet down here below, unlocking the, unlocking the godliness of the natural world. And therefore, he says, that's what happened to the Jewish people after they heard the Megillah the first time. They suddenly had this amazing, amazing sense that they want to keep the Torah and they want to keep the mitzvahs. And that's what it means, kimu v'kiblu. They first did Purim the first year. They read the Megillah before it was instituted. It wasn't even instituted as a commandment for year. They read the Megillah one time, and the magic of the Megillah did a job on their souls. What happened? It gave them the sharp sense that God is the reality of the physical world. The Torah and the mitzvahs are the success of physical life. And they felt it not in their neshama, they felt it in their bodies. Every fiber of their being screamed out, called out, I want to be a Jew, I want to connect to God. And when the sages saw the magic of what happened to the Jews, they went into shul as people on their cell phones, busy with this and busy with that. They went out of shul. They were completely devoted and dedicated they re-accepted the Torah. That's when it happened. When did it happen that they accepted the Torah? He says, after they heard the Megillah for the first time. When they read the Megillah for the first time, they unlocked the godliness of the natural of, of Torah mitzvahs in, in its natural world. So their acceptance of the Torah happened magically at that time. And therefore, he says, when we read the Megillah from year to year on Purim, it's a sub, it's powerful. He says, when we read the Megillah on Purim every single year, remember one thing, he says. Number one, realize that it doesn't make a difference where you stood five minutes before the Megillah. That means your level of observance, how much you cared about Torah and how much you cared about mitzvahs. Now that you're, 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 you're reading the Megillah, you're experiencing a spiritual and physical makeover. You're going to from now on walk out of the Megillah reading and you have a new body, a new a body that is synchronized with Torah. It says all the pollutants are out. You're experiencing the greatest detox ever. He says that's why Purim is like Yom Kippur. You're just like Yom Kippur. Hashem says it's a, it's a new Cheshbon. Hashem says, I don't care what happened yesterday. You're all clean. It's a new slate. You're starting all over again. We have that enormous gift on Purim to completely recalibrate our entire physical system that we should suddenly after the Megillah feel such a love to being a Jew and a desire to keep it not, even when we're not transcendental people floating and experiencing the spirituality of it, it doesn't have to mean just merely hearing the holy words as Esther and Mordechai put it down, your soul is plugging into Esther and Mordechai and they are now revamping your entire system. You're like getting like a, you know, when you do a, you reboot the computer, you reboot it all. It's a whole recalibration of our entire existence. And then with that, the world is new. We are refreshed as new Jews, ready to keep Torah and mitzvahs with a whole new energy and a whole new commitment by having this, this, this physical, natural, intrinsic sense that living as a Jew is 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 my my life, my health as a physical human being. This is even with even the natural me lives 
the healthiest, the most meaningful, and the best, and the most successful life when I'm following the rhythms of all of creation. Because there's no pollutants to block it. We can see that the rhythm of life is elokus, is godliness, that nature itself is none other than Hashem himself. Megillas, Esther. That's the secret of Torah. May we merit to have the greatest Megillah reading, but it should be already heard from Mordechai himself. And, and since it's going to be the Shiach comes, it says it's going to be Karl Hassan Vakal Kala. There'll be the voice of the male and the voice of the female. So I give the blessing that the men should hear it from Mordechai and the women shall hear it from Esther reading the Megillah of this Purim already. And she will read the Megillah for everybody and we will, and we will have the happiest Purim. See the building of the base Amigdash today. I have to hold the Megillah. I usually don't hold a, I have to hold the Megillah for this class. And this Megillah, you can see, comes straight from Persia. The, uh, hold on one second.